Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. The United States will continue to draw down its troops in Afghanistan and Iran, Pentagon officials announced yesterday. A move Senator Mitch McConnell called a mistake. We'll talk with Richard Haas of the Council on Foreign Relations about the plan. Then at 9.30, some Stanford University faculty want the university to sever its ties with the Hoover Institution. They say misrepresentations of science by Hoover Fellow and Trump Coronavirus Advisor Dr. Scott Atlas pose a threat to public health. We'll get the details on how long-standing tensions between the conservative-leaning think tank and Stanford are reaching a boiling point. That's all next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. The Pentagon announced yesterday that it will continue to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan and Iraq, leaving 2,500 in each nation by January 15th. The move drew bipartisan rebukes from lawmakers and some top military commanders who say the troop reduction is premature and could further destabilize Afghanistan in particular. The announcement comes as President Trump continues to install loyalists at the Pentagon and a week after he fired Defense Secretary Mark Esper. We're going to talk about what's behind the, with, uh, the drawdown in Iraq and Afghanistan and other foreign and military policy decisions that the Trump administration is making in this lame duck period. And joining us is Richard Haas, president of the Council on Foreign Relations. His most recent book is The World, A Brief Introduction. And welcome back to Forum. Richard Haas, good to have you. Always good to be with you, Michael. And let's begin by talking about this pullback. And I should mention we're not only talking about Afghanistan and Iraq, we're also talking about Somalia, but this is being done at a time, January 15th, which is just days before, five days before the Biden administration will presumably be moving in, now in limbo. And uh, what does that mean in terms of national security, that there's no transition yet? Well, there's no upside. The fact that there's no transition can only hurt uh, whoever, whenever Joe Biden does take over, and let's just say January 20th, uh, he's going to inherit an extraordinarily difficult inbox and the more time he and his team have to prepare for it, the better the country uh, will be. So there, there's nothing to be gained by uh, delaying the, 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 the transition. The array of international challenges is, is, is extraordinary. And in terms of what you began the, the show with, you set it up exactly right. This is being determined not by local conditions, unless by local you mean uh, the Trump White House. This is a political calendar rather than on the ground conditions in, in Afghanistan or Iraq or anywhere else. It's inappropriate, I would argue, to do this during any transition. But again, what's, what's driving this, I believe, it's always dangerous to project, but my, I believe it's Mr. Trump's desire to make good 
on certain promises he made, and it's consistent with his worldview, which tends to be relatively unilateralist and isolationist, but it will not be good either for the situation in any of these countries or for America's long-term efforts, among other things, uh, against terrorism or for our reputation for reliability. Well, let's talk about some of those concerns because they are profound and they are certainly deep in so many ways. Uh, and we should mention perhaps the fact that the president had promised to get troops up by Christmas. He's just cutting them in half. But the last time there was a major pullout uh, from Iraq, it led to the rise of the Islamic State there and in Syria. And there's great concern and understandably so about uh, well, the Taliban taking over as they did in 1996, possibly in Afghanistan or for that matter, Afghanistan being a sanctuary for terrorism, uh, not only because of al-Qaeda, but because of ISIS and, well, the Taliban itself. Well, look, all those concerns are warranted. I wish I could argue differently, but I can't. What's particularly ironic uh, in Iraq is not only is this, you know, we have some history to go by, as you suggested. It weakens the ability to fight terrorism. But if the administration is concerned about Iranian influence, this seems to me paves the way for increased Iranian influence in Iraq. So even by their own lights, this makes this makes no sense. And Afghanistan is really bad. Uh, you know, they signed an agreement in February with the Taliban. They bypassed the government, which in and of itself was bad. It's not a peace agreement, though it claims to be. It really is an American withdrawal uh, agreement. The Taliban did not have to give up their arms, did not have to agree to uh a ceasefire, and they made rhetorical pledges about their relationship with, with, with terrorists, but you can't take any of those to the, to the bank. Uh, this is really, you know, after all we've done in Afghanistan, and including mistakes, we, I, I, you know, I'm prepared to argue that the United States overreached there in trying to remake aspects of the country, but this is, this is the, the opposite mistake. This is underreaching, and I hate for the, the, the idea come that down the road, some future administration, be it Joe Biden's or someone after him, may have to contemplate doing things in places like Iraq or Somalia or, or Afghanistan simply because the Trump administration raced to the exits. And we should mention, since you brought up Somalia, that uh, the timing on this is really terrible because uh, there's actually um, parliamentary elections that are coming up soon uh, in about a month. And uh, there's a concern that Counterterrorism there of Shabab-led counterterrorism could uh, be stalled uh, working against Shabab. But this was why, getting back to Afghanistan for a moment, this is why Mark Esper, the Secretary of Defense, was fired. He was concerned about the effects of a rapid pullout on the troops and the remaining, uh, uh, what that would mean in terms of our alliances. But also, there's ongoing peace negotiations between the Taliban and the Afghan government that are pretty crucial here too, aren't there? Again, there's negotiations going on. Uh, I'm skeptical about them. But even if you were a believer in these negotiations, I can't think of a worse way to negotiate than to unilaterally make these kinds of uh, reductions. I mean, Mr. Trump is renowned for, quote unquote, the art of the deal. Well, you'll get a deal here, but you won't get a deal that's worth the paper it, it, it's written on. It won't last. The Taliban will have no incentive to, to meet its commitments, and this risks demoralizing and undermining the, the government. What we ought to be doing over time is potentially reducing our presence, but we ought to do it in a coordinate, coordinated way with the government, with our NATO allies who are also there on the ground, and it ought to be done in conjunction with significant long-term commitments of military aid, economic support, intelligence support. Essentially, it ought to be coordinated. 
and it ought to be carried out only in a context in which stability and our interests can be protected. This is a textbook case of how not to go about it. And I'm struck also, Richard, by the fact that uh, there are, have been attacks, despite this agreement that was signed in February, this diplomatic agreement, uh, on personnel, uh, the coalition personnel, even though it was signed. Mm -hmm. And there have also been, let's go to Iraq for a moment, rockets fired into the green zone in Baghdad near the U.S. Embassy shortly after that withdrawal was announced. So a lot of this is pretty ominous in many ways and certainly ought to be of great concern. But I want to also look at this with you for a moment from the political standpoint. You have a lot of President Trump's fellow Republicans who are balking at this, including Mitch McConnell. Mm -hmm. That to me is the only bright side of this, is that it shows that there is a degree of bipartisan support for a, for a serious foreign policy, which includes a continued American presence in the world, one dimension of which is, is military. So the fact that these Republicans on the Hill are willing to stand up to President Trump, at least in this domain, is welcome. And it also bodes well for the Biden foreign policy, for the Biden administration. I, I'm not naive. Um, you know, I know how difficult it will be in many areas to forge a common policy path, but on matters towards China, on matters towards Russia, on some aspects of American deployments abroad, this suggests to me that the Biden administration, and or even if the Republicans keep the, the Senate after the Georgia votes, this suggests to me that at least in some areas, uh, bipartisanship in foreign policy is, uh, is a real possibility. Nice to, nice to hear that ray of hope, at least uh, in the wake of all this. And by the way, if you would like to join us with uh, Richard Haas, you're welcome to do that. You give us a call now, and I invite you to do that. Our toll-free number, 866-733-6786. Please feel free to join the program with any questions or comments you might have. We're talking about what's behind the troop drawdown in Iraq and Afghanistan and other foreign policy news with the President of the Council on Foreign Relations. We welcome your involvement. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. I'll just get also your take, uh, talk more about the withdrawals uh, uh, and the plans, uh, and also talk about Iran, time permitting, and certainly get our listeners involved in this discussion as well. But what do you make about this uh, Chris Krebs, uh, head of cybersecurity, being let go, uh, presumably because uh, he said it was a fair election? I think that was, seems to be the primary reason. He's a man who many attest to as being of great integrity. You call me madcap, call me a dinosaur. But in my experience, you used to get rid of people not for doing their job, but for not doing their job. And this is, you know, in the old Superman comic books, this used to be called Bizarro World, where everything is reversed. <laughs> so here you have people being fired for, for doing their jobs, and you have people keeping jobs who are not doing them. It is, it's quite extraordinary. This administration, in some ways, is going to go out the way it came in, by violating norms, uh, left, and, uh, left and right. But it's... Uh, Look, it's dangerous for our democracy. And again, it, it undermines what we should be projecting to the world, that the, this is a country that respects and cherishes its democratic institutions. And one of the important ones is this this norm about uh, how you how you act when you when you lose an, an election. And this is uh, this. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, every time I think, Michael, that I've exhausted the potential for surprise, things like this happen. And so here we are uh, again. And I think there's a, a serious thing to take from this. It's, you know, Mr. Trump had, what, more than 70 million people's vote for him. Many, you know, I understand why many of those did. But, but it worries me in one way that he still has the support he has, given that people ought to be pushing back. 
this is not a, he's not doing this in the interests of the country. He's doing this in his own personal interest. And I, I would like to think that those who voted for him would see the distinction. Can you talk a little bit more about what's going on in Afghanistan presently? I mean, the Taliban are advancing and uh, yeah. against Afghan forces. Sure. I mean, they're being besieged in the south and the north. Uh, they're advancing over about two thirds of the country, aren't they? Somewhere between 40, 50, 60 percent of the country is either controlled by the Taliban or is not secure against them. The Taliban will always control, always is a big word, but likely to control a big chunk of the south. That's where they have their ethnic uh, base, their, 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 their roots. Uh, again, I see no evidence that they have fundamentally changed their, their stripes and they're, they're taking on the uh, government wherever they are. Uh, can. You've also got other groups that are neither Taliban nor government. You've got uh, various terrorist organizations who are still holed up in, in, in parts of uh, Afghanistan. So, you know, I can't sit here. No one can sit here and honestly say if the United States keeps 5,000 troops there or 50,000 troops or 150,000 troops, we will have peace and stability in uh, Afghanistan. We tried that. It, it, it didn't work. But what I want to avoid is a situation where the government is overrun where the Taliban set up shop over most or all of the country, and then they're in a position to one way or another allow terrorist groups to, to come back uh, in. So I think we were naive to aim for peace with the uh, Taliban. It's impossible to get a military victory over them. The best thing we can do, and it's not very satisfying, I admit it, is to have an open-ended situation where the government controls maybe half the country, 60% of the country, including the major uh, cities, and there's something of a standoff with them and the Taliban until such a time the Taliban is, uh, is prepared to, to really sue for peace. If you have some thoughts about the withdrawal or if you have some questions, please feel free to join us. 866-733-6786 is the number for your calls. That's 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. This is Forum. Our guest this uh, segment is Richard Haas, President of the Council on Foreign Relations, and we're talking about what's behind the troop drawdown in Iraq and Afghanistan and other foreign policy news. And uh, getting some comments here, let me read a couple of them. Daniel writes, Trump is doing everything he possibly can to make the Biden transition as difficult as possible. Same for everything under the transition umbrella, not just troop withdrawal. He's decapitating every agency head he can to that end. And a tweet from Jeanette who says, stop this monster, Trump. Put him on hold until January. GOP, where is your sense? Let's bring a caller on. Max, you're on. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my question for your guest is that if two decades of, uh, I mean, apparently unified military support in Afghanistan wasn't sufficient to be able to bring us to solving this, what is the actual plan from, from any uh, respected expert in this field? Uh, in the Vietnam War, we eventually admitted, hey, this is something we got to leave. So what is our plan for Afghanistan? If it's not going to be a troop reduction, 
what are we expected to see? What are we expected to gain from continuing military operations? And I'll take my answer off the air. Yeah, thank you for that, Max. Richard Haas. Max, it's exactly the right question. It's a difficult question, but let me do my best to answer it. I don't think there is a solution. So let me just put that out there. Not everything in life is a problem to be solved. This is a condition or a situation to be managed. And to me, the goal is a responsible government not losing power to an irresponsible and dangerous group like the, the Taliban. And that's where I think you could have a very small U.S. troop presence that would have to be open-ended, somewhere about 4,000, 5,000 troops, not fighting the war, but essentially advising, training, equipping, providing intelligence support. We would have to provide economic and military aid to the government, and that would be open-ended. And I would simply say we've had open-ended presences in other parts of the world, in Asia, in Europe, and the like. And that seems to me a realistic price to pay. What we want to avoid is in Afghanistan that again becomes a major haven or venue for for terrorism. So I realize it's not a it's not a satisfying answer, but it's what an honest your response? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm, I'm wondering what your response is uh, when you talk about not satisfying uh, answers uh, to get your reaction to a listener named Jorge, who uh, writes, your warmonger guest, and frankly, you too, Michael, will never think conditions are right to pull out of Afghanistan, Iraq, or Somalia. The public, both Democratic and Republican, want these endless wars to end. 19 years is long enough. The country should be run by the people, not the military-industrial complex. Trump is finally doing something right. I must say, this is the first time in my whole career I've been called a warmonger. It may be true for you too, but uh, what, what's your thought about that? Because there are certainly hundreds of thousands of people who feel that it's time enough. This is the longest war and it's taken too much of a toll. Look, again, if the purpose of what we were doing was to transform Afghanistan and turn it into Sweden and Central Asia, I would agree. But it's not. We have very limited goals and we're, we're, we're committing limited, limited means. And you know, I would simply say to the call, I think his name is Jorge, think about it. Here we are where 250,000 Americans have died from a, a virus that came to us from abroad. Think about it. We just marked the 19th anniversary of 9-11, where three, nearly 3,000 people were killed here in a day from terrorists who were trained in Afghanistan, or climate change, or any number of other issues. The world matters. So I understand the desire to wash our hands of it, but the world's not going to wash its hands of us. So I think what foreign policy has to be about is how do we make limited justifiable commitments to push back against threats to the United States that will otherwise come here. And that, that to me is essentially the argument against the sort of isolationism. This isn't warmongering. This is a responsible international presence for, for the United States. Well, we're getting another uh, comment along those lines from a listener named Butch who says, I totally support troop withdrawal from Afghanistan and Iraq. Smart move by Trump. Give him Obama's Nobel Peace Prize. Let me bring another caller on. Yvette joins us. Yvette, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, hi, Yvette. Go ahead. Yes, we can hear oh, you fine, yeah. please. Oh, yes. Um, you know, from the beginning of these, um, I put air quotes around the negotiations, you know, I've been extremely puzzled because, the, you know, the Taliban came down from mountains and, and they do have... Uh, like you said, the, um, where they're located on the on the western um, plain, but closer to mountains, they came down fighting and killed Afghani troops and American troops, and then we we negotiated with them, 
under those terms, which is just not seems to be non-negotiable right there, lose. Um, a, a line gets drawn with that. But then when we did negotiate, the Taliban were making terms of negotiation. And in fact, you know, the ambassador to the Afghanistan uh, the Af- the Afghani ambassador is a woman, and you know she wasn't allowed to be in the negotiations. And so, from way back when, I I felt um, I couldn't see how this could be productive at all because I couldn't believe some of the promises that were made, and they can't, you know, the, the recent bombings of um, the. Kabul University and um, so forth. Uh, yeah. Yvette, let I me just, uh, come in here for a minute uh, and, and go to Richard Haas on this. Uh, let's talk about those negotiations from the perspective that she's bringing up. I mean, one would have to wonder about their efficacy on any level, uh, particularly in the context of Al-Qaeda being in support of them at this point, aren't they? I think these negotiations were never about peace. They were never about stability. These negotiations were about an American exit. Let's just call it for what it was. And as a result, uh, they were questionable from the get-go. They will not lead to stability. They will not lead to American security against terrorism. They will certainly not lead to peace in Afghanistan. So the callers who favor, not this most recent caller, but the others who have weighed in in favor of American complete withdrawal, they should know what it is they're signing up to. It's not peace. If it were peace, I would favor it too. What they are signing up to is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan and the potential for Afghanistan to again become a terrorist refuge, which among other things could affect security here in the United States or could affect other American interests around the world. So let's at least have an honest conversation about the consequences of Mr. Trump's policy. And let me thank Yvette for her call and go to a comment from a listener named Jim who says, my understanding is that the U.S. forces in Afghanistan and Iraq are there as part of coalition forces. Have the coalition been included in this recent decision? I think it's an important point because you've got all the, about 38 countries. Uh, are they going to follow about 12,000 troops or for that matter, NATO troops going to follow withdrawal? Richard? This American decision was not made in coordination with our NATO partners, which again sends a terrible message to our, our principal allies. But without a, a certain level of American troops, and it's a little bit unclear, but I don't think we will be able, I don't think if we go ahead with this withdrawal, we will have sufficient strength to give the security and support that our NATO allies require for them to, to remain. So I think you will see some unraveling of the uh, international presence in Afghanistan if we go ahead with this unilateral action. And Susan wants to know, what's the military's role and opinion on this withdrawal? And in fact, a related com- question from Jeanette who says, why is the military cooperating with Mr. Trump? Will they do so even if he tries to attack Iran? Well, it's pretty clear from news reports that the military opposes what this has done, but this is a lawful order. It's in the pro- in providence of the president of the United States to make such decisions. So the military will weigh in, but so long as it's a lawful uh, order, they will then salute and carry it out with, with their professionalism. But they've made, they've made no secret that they think this is ill-advised, which, as you suggested before, is one of the reasons, I believe, that Mr. Esper is no longer the Secretary of Defense. 
Wasn't there also, Richard, uh, something in the works, at least a proposal that was put forward by President Trump and he's dissuaded by the military and Pompeo and others to actually take action against Iran because of their nuclear site, because uh, international inspectors uh, were reporting an increase in the stockpile of nuclear material? Yeah, that was the New York Times story, I guess, about, about one or two days ago, Michael. Exactly. Iran has moved considerably beyond the constraints that were set out in the 2015 agreement, which, important to point out, the United States unilaterally uh, withdrew from. They now have far more uranium and at a slightly higher level of, of enrichment. The time they would need if they were to make a sprint towards a nuclear weapon has been significantly uh, reduced. But the argument uh, against uh, using military force, there's there several. Uh, it would strengthen the regime in Iran. They would retaliate in all sorts of ways and all sorts of uh, places. They would ultimately rebuild their nuclear capability, but put it far further uh, underground. We would isolate ourselves again more than Iran. So again, I think there's powerful reasons not to use military force. And the real question I think facing the Biden administration will be what sort of diplomatic option is there to once again bring bring Iran back into certain constraints? And then what do we do once those constraints expire? And I think the real question here, Michael, is not a short-term challenge for the United States, but it's a medium and longer-term challenge because we never want Iran to either get a nuclear weapon or get 90% of the way there. And the question is, how can we achieve that? Now, a lot of big questions looming, and certainly as the next administration steps in, uh, we will continue to monitor them. Richard Huss, always good to have you with us. I appreciate very much you being with us. Thanks, my friend. So Richard Huss, President of the Council on Foreign Relations. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house. Even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.